Well, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Um, and after I saw Pastor Dan lead the choir, I'm like, why isn't he up here? Um, but he had many things going on this week, and so he had contacted me and said, hey, Michael, can you fill in for me one more week? And, and so he's planning on being back here next week, and I cannot wait for him to do that. Um, but when I was growing up, uh, and I don't remember if this was my mom and my dad or if it was one of my Sunday school teachers, but they taught me this thing. And I, I don't know if you guys remember this. They said, hey, Michael, here's the church, and, and here's the steeple, and when you, these are the doors. When you open up the doors, where's all the people? And I would say, mom and dad, it must be prayer meeting, or um, <laughs> it, it must be Super Bowl Sunday. Um, because none of the people are in the church. But then they would say, but Michael, look, now, now here's the church, and here's the steeple, and when you open up the doors, look, there's all the people, and I would be like, yay, all the people came to church today. And so if you didn't come to church and you're joining us online, no guilt, but um, <laughs> we hope you're here next Sunday. But I don't, I don't know what you feel or what you think, when you hear the word church. When you hear the word church, I, I don't know what registers inside of your heart or, or inside of your mind because maybe, just maybe, you had a bad experience at a church. Maybe there was an awkward situation or an awkward setting or, or you were a guest there and they made you stand up and say something. Or I, I don't know what it was like when you had your bad church experience. Or, or maybe you're here and, and you're, you're hiding out kind of here because at your last church you got extremely hurt. And, and someone said something or, or someone did something or, or someone talked behind your back and, or, or someone did something to your face and, and, and so you left there and, and you've come here to hopefully maybe find help, maybe find healing. Or, or maybe you're coming back to church for the first time in a long time because you grew up in the church, but, but it really didn't appeal to you or, or you didn't feel like it was relevant to you or your parents got split up and your church didn't know how to handle that and so it was a big mess and you left the church and, and you've never come back. I, I don't know what you think or feel. Or maybe you grew up in this church and you've had an incredible experience all of your life with Pastor Dez and Pastor Dan. And, and so I don't know what emotions kind of register in your heart or in your mind when you hear the word church. But in the first century, there were no bands, there were no Bibles, there were no balconies, there were no other words that started with the letter B. In the first church, there was no hierarchy, there was no staff. It, it was just this group of individuals that gathered in this name that we've been singing about all morning long, the name of Jesus. And they gathered around this idea, this movement, that, that they believed that Jesus was actually who he said he was. That he was a person who, who was tried by Rome and he was killed on a cross and then on the third day he rose again. And so there wasn't any of these other things. There was just simply this group of people that said, we believe and what we were singing about, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of that. And so there was this, this group, this collection, this assembly of people that met together around the name of Jesus. And, and so this morning, I just want to take a couple minutes, and I promise you're going to be out of here early. 
I just want us to take a couple of minutes and hopefully my, my goal here this morning is that you rethink what maybe you've been thinking about the church. That maybe something in your heart, some callous maybe that you've built around your heart when you hear the word church is maybe peeled away this morning. In fact, we're going to learn a Greek word together. All right, so all of you that have been saying, Pastor Michael, you're not too deep. Today we're going deep. All right, we're going to learn a Greek word together. And now you can converse with Pastor Josh and Pastor Dez because they know Greek. And and so we're going to go deep today. In fact, we're going to even learn a German word together. But my whole hope and my idea in this simple teaching is just simply this, that our hearts and our minds maybe will just begin to shift a little bit when we hear the word church. So the Greek word, many of you probably already know it. If you've been around Bethesda for a long time, it's just simply this. It's going to be up on the screen. Ekklesia. Ekklesia. And this word is, is in the, the Greek New Testament. It, it was representative of the church. Ekklesia. Can you guys just say that with me because it's fun to say? Ekle. Awesome. One more time. One, two, three. Great job. All right. Ekklesia. And that, that word, it literally means congregation or assembly or gathering together. And and so that's what, in the New Testament, that's the word that's used for the church. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, that's what they, the believers called themselves, was this ecclesia, this group of believers that gathered around the name of Jesus. And things were going great for about 300 years. And 300 AD, something shifted and something changed. And many of you who know anything about church history, know anything about the medieval times, you know this. That the church took an embarrassing turn. And the church did things, terrible, horrible things in the Middle Ages. That even today, many people still don't agree with the church or don't like the church or don't want to be anywhere associated with the church because of what happened during that time. And some of it had to do with this simple little translation of ecclesia. Because it was translated and it was changed. And the German word, I think they're going to have it up on the screen for me, is this. And I don't speak German, so bear with me, all of you German speakers, all of you high school students that are taking German or you took German. Forgive me, all right? But it's this word kitsch. And you can kind of see, if you look it up, how we get our, this is the root word for our word, church. And this word simply means in German, the Lord's house. The Lord's house. So we went from ecclesia to this word church. And it means the Lord's house. And it became, instead of a gathering and a a group and an assembly of people together, it became a location. It became a building. And there's nothing wrong with meeting in a building. This is an incredible building. And, and I'm glad that we get to be here and the air conditioning and when the winter comes and the, and the heat, all of those things, and it keeps the rain out. I, I get that. But, but during this time, it shifted from this gathering, this movement of a group of people who gathered around the name of Jesus to a building. And in Europe, if you controlled the building, you controlled the people. And if you controlled the people, then you controlled the scripture. And if you controlled the scripture, then in many places in Europe, you controlled the government. And you controlled the politics of that day. And you controlled the decision making that was happening in the communities and in the government. And the church began to do something very corrupt. 
it, it became very immoral, very destructive, very self-centered, very hierarchical. This idea of, hey, these guys are in charge and what they say goes. And many people would sit in a room like this in rows and they would listen to a priest read from a book that they had no idea what he was saying because he was speaking in a different language. And they would sit there and it didn't apply to them and it wasn't relevant to them. And many times it just went over their heads and they, and they had no idea what the priest was saying or what he was reading. This was at 300 A.D., this time period. And think about it. The United States of America isn't even 300 years old yet. So over this 300 span of time from when the church first started on opening day till then, in 300 years, the church took a wrong turn. But 1,500 years later, if you study church history, and I know this feels like a history class, but hold on. We're going to get to the scripture, I promise. There was a guy by the name of William Tyndale, and I brought a picture of him this morning. William Tyndale took the first selfie, and, and he didn't smile, though. He, he didn't smile when he took this selfie, but William Tyndale, he, he was from, from England, and William did something amazing. He was sitting in the rows just like you, and finally one day he said this, you know what, this isn't working. The, these people should have the Bible in their own language. And, and them sitting in rows and listening to a priest read from this book and it makes no sense to them and has no relevance to them. I want to print and I want to create. He knew Greek and Hebrew just like Pastor Josh. And so he, he, he said, I'm going to rewrite the scripture and I'm going to write them in English. I'm going to write the scripture in English so that everybody has a copy of the scripture in their own language. And so thanks to Gutenberg, who lived 100 years before William Tyndale, you might have heard his name before he invented the printing press. And because of him, William was able to copy and make prints of the New Testament. And in some cases, he was printing out the Old Testament and the New Testament. He, he, he uh, uh, translated from Hebrew, the Old Testament, and Greek, the New Testament, into English so that everyone could have a copy of the Word of God. Thank you, William, for doing that for us. A and William did this, but the church leaders obviously got very angry with William. They were very mad. And so they ch chased him, and they were trying to get him and arrest him, but he fled to Germany, and he kept printing out Bibles and then smuggling them into England so that everyone could have a Bible. And so... One day, his, one of his best friends, his close friends, betrayed him, and they arrested him, they tried him, they hung him, and they burned his body because he was an enemy of the church for giving out the Bible. But it was too late because it had already been printed and it had already been passed out, and people were handing out copies, and they were sharing the word of God with one another. And listen to what William said. During his trial, he has this famous quote, and this is what he says. If God spare my life in many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. His whole vision, his whole heart, his whole dream was that people just like you and me, not pastors, not priests, not people who were in leadership, that only these exclusive people had access to the word of God or to the Bible, but that every single person, even children, would have access to the word of God. 
And so William, his heart and his vision was right in line with what Jesus wanted to start. And we're going to be in two books this morning. I'm going to read one verse out of Matthew. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. So if you're new to Scripture and you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. If you have your smartphone, take that out. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And then the other book is the fifth book in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And we'll be in chapter 1 and chapter 2 there. But in Matthew chapter 16... Jesus asks his disciples this question, and, and I advise you not to ask this because you might not like what you hear back, but Jesus asks this question. He says this, who do people say that I am? Hey, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? Who, who, what, what are they talking about when they talk about me? And one of his disciples pipes up and they say, well, well some people think that you're reincarnated John the Baptist, and you've come back to life, and, and John's living through you. And then some of them said, well, you know what? Some people actually think you're one of the prophets, Elijah or Ezekiel or Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, and you've come back, and the spirit of one of those prophets is upon you. And then Jesus asked a very pointed question that's for you and it's for me still today. And every one of us will have to answer this question eventually. He says this, who do you say that I am? I know what the government's saying. I know what, they're, what you can find on Twitter or on Google. But what about you? What do you? Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who's never had a lack of words, he constantly has a Nike in his mouth. He says this, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus, you're, you're the one that was promised hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, or Kephas, Peter, I tell you this. On this rock, I will build my church. On this statement that I will build my church, of that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't matter generation after generation that comes and goes. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what's going on in Caesarea Philippi because Jesus had brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi and there was this cave and this gate that was called the, the gates of hell that they would refer to where they, all of these idol worshipers and, and gods were worshiped. And, and Jesus says this, even in the midst of the gates of hell, death or high water or hell won't even stop this message. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And church, listen, we're still here today. This is one of the most significant prophecies. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And literally, millions of people are gathered all around the world today, worshiping Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. And governments have risen and fallen. Empires have come and gone. Men and women have tried to stop the Bible and the church and everything else. And look what Jesus said. It doesn't matter what the world tries to do. Nothing is going to stop my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's still going and going and going and going. So then you know the story. Jesus is later on tried and he's crucified. 
and he rises on the third day and he appears to his disciples. We celebrated this just a few weeks, a, month, a couple of months ago, Easter. We celebrate that once a year where, where we remember Jesus' sacrifice and that he's risen. And he, and he appeared to his disciples and to hundreds and hundreds of other people. They were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was alive. And in Acts chapter 1, in a few verses down, Jesus is giving his final instruction to his disciples. And, and they're thinking, hey, he's going to establish his kingdom. Finally, Jesus is going to be a king, and John's going to get to sit on his left, and I'm, uh, James, I'm going to get to sit on his right. We're going to be in power. We're going to have authority. And they're asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? When are we actually going to get to do something and be in charge and overthrow the Roman Empire? And listen to Jesus' response in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 7. He said, hey, it is not for you to know the times and the dates that my Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power, and the disciples are thinking, power, we get power, <laughs> yes. Finally, we get power. And Jesus says, I'm not finished. Power, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. This word witness means to testify, to give testimony, or to even in some translations, to give your life away. You're going to give your life away for this message of Jesus Christ. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, okay, Jesus, we can do that. We, we can do Jerusalem, that's fine. Even though in this city, there's still some people who just a few weeks ago killed you, <laughs> but you want us to take the message of, of your name around the city. Okay, we'll do that. Judea. All right, we can do that. Samaria, no, okay, Jesus, we can't go to Samaria. We don't even like the people in Samaria. We are going to send us to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, do you know how big the world is? To which Jesus could have said, Columbus and Magellan don't even know how big the world is. You have no clue how big the world is. Because this isn't just going to be a Jerusalem thing. It's not just going to be a Judea thing. This is going to be to every language, to every tribe, to every tongue. People who haven't even been born yet. This is going global. This is going to be worldwide. Everyone is going to hear this message about me. And so the disciples do what Jesus said. And they pray and they wait. And they pray and they wait and they pray and they wait and they pray and they wait and they pray and they wait. And two weeks go by and the Holy Spirit comes. What we're celebrating, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost was this time, it was this Jewish festival similar to Passover where Jews from all around the world would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And, and they would come and they would be there to celebrate and so this group of believers, we think it was maybe 100, maybe 120, we're not exactly sure. But they're meeting together, and the Bible says that they're in one accord. And while they're waiting and while they're praying, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes. And if you were here at the beginning of the service, the video talked about how there was this mighty rushing wind that filled this room that they were in. And this, these, these flames of fire appeared above their head, and all of a sudden, they started speaking in other languages that they hadn't taught. I mean, I still don't speak Spanish, even though I'm trying to with Rosetta Stone, okay? All right? I'm the Mexican who can't speak Spanish. Ah. Hashtag fail, okay? So this whole idea that they're speaking other languages that they never learned, that they've never practiced. 
And all of a sudden, they're going out into the streets, and the people hear them speaking. They're like, they're Galileans, and they're speaking Swahili. They're speaking French. They're speaking Spanish. They're speaking Aramaic. They're speaking all of these languages. And, and I understand what they're saying. They're declaring the praises of God. They're declaring the greatness of God in another language that I understand and they're speaking all of these languages, and there's this huge, huge commotion, and people are like, they must be drunk. They're getting a little tipsy. But Peter stands up and he says, hey, it's too early. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. First service hasn't even started yet. They, there's no way they've been drinking this early. And Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon on opening day of the church Watch what happens when this assembly, this congregation, this gathering of people gets together. Peter says this, fellow Israelites, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. Peter says, hey, listen up. Everybody, gather in. All right, get off your smartphone. Listen, just for a second, just for a second. Peter says, hey, hey, let me get your attention. Jesus he was here, and this isn't hundreds of years ago. This isn't thousands of years ago. This is a few weeks ago. And the people are like, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, I remember that. I was there when he fed the 5,000 people. My cousin, he healed him one day. I remember talking to him about that. I, I remember Jesus, yeah, I, we, were, we were there that day when he was dragging his cross down the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha. And Peter's like, you're exactly right. Everyone was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate wanted to let him go, but you yelled out, no, we want blood. Just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, not even two months ago, this happened. Jesus came. And he goes on to say, but God raised him <laughs> from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He's sharing the gospel. He says, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all, here's this word again, witnesses to it. We're all, we're eyewitnesses. We saw, we touched his hands. Thomas put his hand in his side. We, we've touched him. We've eaten with him. We've had conversations with him. He's no longer dead. He's alive. And a hush fell over the crowd. Peter says, exalted, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God and was, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, which you has been poured out, which you now see, because they could see what was going on, and you hear them speaking in these other languages, declaring the praises of God. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they shouted out, what what should we do? They were cut to the heart. And Peter, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And you know what Peter and the other apostles said? Go to church. If you didn't laugh, you should read your Bibles. Because he doesn't say go to church. But I want to pause here just for a second. Because isn't that what we do? 
when our family's falling apart, when we get a report from the doctor, when something happens with our kids, our kids are far off, or, or we have kids for the first time, you're new parents, you're like me, and, and having kids didn't come with a handbook, and you're like, man, I have got to get my kids in church, right? We automatically run to the church, because we think when things are falling apart, when things are going wrong in our life, that we have to come to church and, and that that's what we're supposed to do. When we get cut to the heart, we, we think that. And I'm glad if you're here for the first time or you're checking us out online and your world f- feels like the rug has been pulled from underneath your feet and that's why you're here this morning, I want you to know we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that your knee-jerk reaction is to come to the church. But Peter doesn't say go to church because that wouldn't even have made sense during the first century. Listen to what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, it's for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. You know who all who are far off is? It's you. And it's me. And this isn't just far off spiritually. This is far off geographically. This is far off emotionally. This is far off in every area of our lives. Those who are far off, God says, hey, you're welcome. If you've heard, if you've heard me speak any, everyone is welcome. Jesus stands with open arms and says, it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what you thought of me, it doesn't matter what you don't think of me, you're welcome. Come, just as you are. Just as you are. And that's what Jesus is, is, or Peter is saying here. Hey, it's for everyone. This message, it's not just a Jerusalem thing, it's not just an Israel thing, it's not just an us thing and them thing. This is for every single one who is far off. And listen to what happens in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized in water. And 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. On opening day of the church, 3,000 people were added to the church, to this ecclesia, this assembly, this gathering together called the church on opening Sunday. And I know some of us don't like big churches because we don't like dealing with the parking, and I get all of that, okay? I understand. But on opening day, 3,000 were added. And just a few chapters later, thousands more were added. And then a few verses later, it says this, and God added to their numbers those that were being saved every single day. Because the church is a movement And as Pastor Dan has told me so many times, living things grow. And the church is alive. And it's called to be moving and living and active. And this is how the church started on opening day. When Jesus started his church over 2,000 years ago. And so it's not about a location. It's not about a style of worship. It's not about pews or rows or chairs or this or that. This message, this church, this gathering together has always been what Peter said. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And this message is for everyone in the world. And so that's why we're here. That's why we gather together. The ecclesia, it's not this. It's this. 
It's this right here. It's us coming together. And so when you think church, think of the people that are sitting in front of you, behind you, beside you. And all throughout these 2,000 years of the church, there have been missionaries. There have been pastors. There have been evangelists. There have been Bible translators. There have been doctors who started hospitals. There have been nurses who said, we're going to go to places. Do you know that in some places of the church, that men and women would go into lepers' communities and they would establish a church there and they would die of the disease of leprosy, but they would give their lives away because they said, this message is too important and it doesn't matter if we live, it doesn't matter if we die. We're going to take this message everywhere. We're the church. That's why Stephen takes lowly trips all the way down into Latin America. That's why they're there again, over and over again, because we believe that this message of hope is not just for us. It's not that, so that we can come in here and listen to incredible music and listen to incredible sermons by Pastor Dan and kind of get this emotional tickle, so to speak, our, our spiritual tickle for the week, and then just to have it, and then that's it. It's about us as a congregation gathering together and saying, Jesus, we believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in my sorority, in my fraternity, at work, when I'm shopping, wherever and wherever I find myself, I'm going to share this message of Jesus Christ. That's the church. That's the church. And church, if we've come to think of the church as something else, and I love how Pastor Dan has said, we're reachers, and he constantly is reminding us as a staff, we're reachers, we're reachers. We're to be reaching out into our community, going into the places that no one else wants to go to, going to the people that no one else wants to go to, and inviting them in. So when you're in your small group, you're the church. When you're helping out in extreme kids and you're gathered in that small group with, with uh, impact girls and royal rangers and, and you're gathering and you're teaching and you're praying with those little children, you're the church. When you're helping in edge with our student ministries, with our middle school students and our high school students, you're the church. When you go to bless someone Saturday with Mike Eason and the team and you're gathered there and you're serving the community, people who cannot help themselves, you're the church. You're the church. And church, I I've said this before, I hope and I pray that our community would look at Bethesda and say, you know what, I might not agree with all of the Bible stuff or the Jesus stuff, but I'm sure glad that Bethesda is here in Fort Worth, Texas. I I'm sure glad that they're here because they make a difference. They make a difference in our community. They make our community better. And I don't know if I agree with everything that they believe in, but I sure hope my daughter marries one someday. I sure hope my son marries one day. I, I sure hope that I work for one one day because those Christians, those church people are such an incredible blessing to our community. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but I, I hope they stick around here for a while. That's the church. And church, my hope and my prayer for us is that we, once again, just like on the day of Pentecost, would, just as Pastor Dan said, we would lift up our hands and say, God, fill us again. Fill us again, God, with your spirit so that we can have the power to be your witnesses in all of the surrounding area. Everywhere we go and everything we do, that we would lift up the name of Jesus. So I'm going to ask Brent and the worship team to come back. In my... My homework assignment for you this week is just simply this. 
I would love for you to read Acts, and you can do this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There are four days. And maybe you already have another Bible reading plan. That's great. If you do, you can squeeze this in. I promise it won't take you more than five minutes. I would love for you to Monday read Acts chapter 1, Tuesday read Acts chapter 2, Wednesday read Acts chapter 3, and Thursday read Acts chapter 4. That's it. Just read those four chapters. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, even if you don't believe in Jesus, just try it. Just pick it up. And see how the church, they were breaking bread together. They were sharing meals together. They were praying together. They were gathering together. God was doing miracles through them. The whole city of Jerusalem, the Bible says, that they turned the city upside down with this message of Jesus Christ. Just read those four chapters this week. And then at the end of reading, just say this. God, help me be the church. Help me not just go to church. Help me not just to attend another service. God, would you help me be the church? Just Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's it. J just read those four chapters this week and just say, God, I want to be the church. I, I want to be like the city that's set on a hill that, that can't be hidden. That, that you, God, would receive all of the praise and all of the glory from my life. Would you stand with me this morning? And, and I'm going to pray a prayer for us, and then I'm going to ask Brent or the worship team to lead us in one last song. And it can be whatever song we sang earlier. It can be something different. But, but we're going to ask, God, would you, would you fill us again, once again? And again, not just for our benefit, but for the glory of your name, Jesus, and for the building of your church and your kingdom, not my kingdom, not Bethesda's kingdom, not any denomination's kingdom, but for your kingdom. And I just, I would love for all of us just to read our Bibles this week. If you don't want to read Acts, that's fine. But when I think of William Tyndale, when I was studying his life, this man died so that we could have scriptures in our hands. And so many times we fail to even pick up the Bible during the week. We forget the men and the women that have sacrificed their lives and their families and their careers and their jobs so that we could have this collection of books and letters and songs that we call the Bible, the scripture, the text. So let's read our Bibles this week and let's just see what God does through us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you promised you would build your church and God, we're an answer to that prayer, to that promise, to that covenant that you made on that day with Peter and your disciples. We're standing here in 2016, over 2,000 years later, the church is still moving on. And it'll be here long after I'm gone, long after anyone in this room is gone. Jesus, your church will continue to go and go and go. And God, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that right here in Bethesda. God, we want to be a part of that right here in Fort Worth and Haltom City and the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area. God, we want to be a part of what your church is doing here. And God, we want to hand it off to the next generation better than how we found it. And God, I pray for anyone here this morning that's been hurt or embarrassed or manipulated by the church in the past. God, would you heal their hearts? God, would you forgive us as a church for not representing you well all the time? 
Forgive us, God, for falling short of what you made us to be. Jesus, be exalted, we pray, in your church, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together, and then we'll be dismissed this morning.